welcome to the Emergence Discipleship Podcast, created to equip ourselves with insight, background, and context into the themes and topics we study each week, first as we gather together to worship Jesus, and then as we go and make disciples. Let's dive into this week's discussion. All right, everybody, welcome to the second to last week of our fall 2022 season. I, as always, am your trusty guide to the study guide, Doug Becker, and I'm here with our friend who has been in absentia for the last few weeks. Hi, everyone. It's yes. Kristen Gorder. <laughs> I'm back. That's right. Kristen has been uh, wrangling the kiddos for the yeah. last few weeks. Yeah, it's fun. I don't know how you do it. You have five. That's true. I do. <laughs> I know how you do it then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. And I don't know if you guys saw on Facebook or whatever, but uh, my daughter, Katie, my autistic daughter, decided to... I was supposed to be watching her. You know, I'm working at the desk. (laughs) Way to go, Dad. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, where's Katie? And I go into the other room and she's found a pair of scissors and has cut it, like, not just, like, cut her hair, like, a little bit, but, like, cut it down to the skin in several places. So I just... I busted I, out my beard shaver and just did the whole head. Yo, well, you told me earlier that it's because she likes the texture. Yeah, of she short likes hair. The texture and of the I, hair. And yeah. I agree. Oh, I, I, whenever I cut like my son's hair, I'm yeah. always feeling his head for like the next week. Yep. Everyone, like, Stop, everyone is, uh, everyone's been rubbing Katie's head <laughs> in our house. So if you see her, feel free. She won't mind. Yeah, love it. she'll like it. I so, love it. all right. Uh, jumping in here, we are uh, uh, covering at a lightning pace here, it seems. Oh, boy. So we've got two chapters of Acts to do today. Um, not two whole chapters, I don't think. But um, and uh, but let me uh, let me give you some of the, uh, the announcements uh, first. So uh, registration is formally closed for Winter Blast for all you who have uh, students out there. But... Um, you are welcome to give Tyler or Curtis a call. And from what I understand, they're, they're being uh, real tough about it. <laughs> no, they're, they're, I think they're, I don't think you'll have a problem. Let me just put yeah. it that way. Yeah. They'll be able to hook you up. Yeah, they'll a, be, able, be able to hook you up. spot if you're the master procrastinator. Yeah, we're really enforcing those deadlines here. Um, next up, we're having a decorating party at Ringwood. Yeah, we're going to spruce up the joint for Christmas. Everyone is invited to help out. Food will be had by all and a jolly movie on the big screen for the kiddos. I'm assuming That's it'll be fun. jolly and it, yeah. w- and it won't be like something super depressing. <laughs> like, uh, like, um, oh shoot. My what? least favorite movie of all time. Oh my gosh. What is it? Um, well, one of my least favorite movies of all time would be, uh, it's a wonderful life. Oh my goodness! I don't know. You're so negative on that. I hate that movie. It does have a lot of like sad. Like I'm like. There's worried. nothing happy about that song until like the last two minutes. So yeah. like, why is that like the Christmas movie to go to? I hate yeah, that it movie. It is. It is. Ugh. Um, that and a Christmas story. I hate that one too. Oh, did you see they're putting out? They're doing a a new one. I, I won't watch it. A I new Christmas Christmas story. The I original like, was awful. I love it. It gives me all of like the these horrible feelings about life and people <laughs> <laughs> i feel like there's really be, jumping off like of the negative Phil should maybe have a podcast and you could be on there <laughs> with him to, <laughs> I, might, I might need to book a oh session my goodness i didn't know this was gonna get so negative so fast i'm sorry everybody 
And I'm in the holiday spirit. Yeah. You know what movie? Just call me the Grinch. You know what Christmas movie they should bring back is uh, Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. You ever see that? No, I've never heard it's of it. It's made by Jim Henson Studios. Yeah. It's really cool. Is that the Muppet? Yeah, Mu- the Muppet guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, uh, anywho, that's going to be on December 4th from uh, putting us back online here um, from 12 to 2 p.m. And uh, feel free to bring some baked goods of your own if you'd like. And then uh, we've been telling you guys for a while about the um, summer sessions com- or winter sessions coming up. You wish. Not telling you about summer sessions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, those are going to be on the archaeology and historical background to the Old Testament. So starting on December 5th, going every Monday, 7 p.m., um, and, uh, there's no sign up necessary. Uh, we're going to go, s- uh, six weeks till January 16th. Cause you got a break in there for Christmas week. And, uh, yeah. And if you can't make it, then just, uh, sign up for the emergence sessions podcast and you could get all the audio, uh, probably next day on there. Um, I, I guess we should also say we had a great worship night last night. Oh yeah. That was so fun. It was very good. Yeah. It was. It was just awesome hearing all the voices. Oh, I know. I know. Just Why don't everybody. you guys sing like that on Sunday morning? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I want like, to uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even out in the lobby, it, was, it sounded yeah. great. Yeah. Um, and there were some uh, cute doggies there, too. <laughs> there sure were. And kids. Yeah, that's there were right. lots of cute kids. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking about maybe starting a dog ministry here at church. <laughs> was, I had su- some doggy doors around. I suggested we call it D-Town. <laughs> I don't, know you. It, I don't know if it's going to take off. Hey, we could have all the volunteers dress up like mailmen. Um, <laughs> oh, that's the mailman. That's right. It's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think of that joke until after we yeah, prayed. We had moved on and yeah. Doug was still cracking jokes still about it. Still making dog ministry <laughs> jokes. Okay, the icebreaker for this week is uh, which Thanksgiving dish do you like the most? Mm. Uh, and which one do you think is kind of gross? Mm. I'll yeah. be happy to answer the second one. I hate sweet potato souffle. We've been using the uh, H word a lot today. Oh, (laughs) yeah, that's right. Yeah, you, yeah. And you like (laughs) hating people and. No, uh, movies, Doug. Movies. Yeah, yeah. Depressing movies. Okay, okay. Um, uh, I love people. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And the Christmas spirit. Yeah, I I can't Uh, get into that. It's like, I don't know. I don't know why people get so excited about it. So I love what is it? Sweet potatoes, like a sweet potato casserole. Yeah, where people do like the the the, the, like the the marshmallows on top and stuff. I feel it's like it's like pumpkin pie light, (laughs) and but not in a good way. I've never liked sweet potatoes very much. I don't like sweet potato fries. I love sweet potatoes. I so my favorite Mm -hmm. is this. It's a cranberry dish, but it's not like the cranberries you think of. It's a cranberry relish, and mm. it's cranberries and apples and oranges and walnuts, and they're all like blended together in this amazing, like tart, sweet. I could get down with it's that. It's awesome. It's so good. You sound like a Food Network uh, host right now. <laughs> There's that like Guy Fieri. That's like, my. You're like, that'd be my dream job. Yeah. I mean, I love you all, but that would way, be my dream job. One way ticket to Flavor Town. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Just let me eat all day and talk about it. I'm, I'm be happy. That's right. All right. So now, um, last week we left off in the middle of chapter 22, but this week Ryan picked things up in chapter 25. You wrote us a book. Doug. Yeah. Well, because I have to summarize. So this is a summary of the of the intervening, of the parts that he didn't preach. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Um, far be it from us to tell you that not to read two and a half chapters of scripture <laughs> of Acts as you're opening. They could just read that and then yeah. be up to speed. Okay. But you could but also, read Doug's words. You could also read my summary here. Let's go. Um, do, we, do we think we should read it right yes, now? Yes, you should. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> in Jerusalem, Paul found himself in danger of being publicly lynched for his Christian views. He is protected by a cohort of Roman soldiers who usher him out of the mob and into their barracks, where he Oz <laughs> held and protected. It's my typo of the week, and is and is protected because of his status as a Roman citizen. <laughs> a, <laughs> a plot by certain Jewish zealots to kill Paul is exposed, and he is secretly brought under military guard to the city of Caesarea where he is entrusted to the care of the Roman procurator, Antonius Felix. The Romans are confused about what Paul had done that was so wrong, and they seek, to, and they seek clarity from the high priests and several elders who travel to Caesarea to accuse him of inciting riots and defiling the Jewish temple. Paul speaks in his own defense, pointing out that he had done neither of these things, and that his views are completely in line with the hope held by a large number of Jewish people, namely, that God raises the dead. Felix refuses to make an immediate judgment. Instead, he keeps him in custody, where Paul has the opportunity to speak with him about faith in Jesus, as well as righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment, hoping in vain to receive a bribe from Paul, while also seeking to curry favor with the Jewish leadership, Felix's term expires, and he is succeeded by Portius Festus. Unlike his predecessor, Festus has no desire to protect Paul, Festivus for the rest of us. When it becomes evident that his intentions are to deliver him over to the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem, Paul asserts his rights as a Roman citizen and appeals to have his case heard by, by emperor. Sorry, folks, I write these things at 5 a.m. on Sunday. Okay, not only does this save his skin from his accusers in Jerusalem and corrupt and the corrupt motives of Festus, uh, but it will fulfill what the Lord told him in a vision earlier. You must also testify in Rome. After some days, Herod Agrippa II arrives in Caesarea with his sister Bernice, who was also his lover. Oh. Yeah, uh, the plot thickens. The Herodian dynasty had a sordid history of persecuting both Jesus and his followers. Agrippa II's father had begun uh, the first state-sponsored persecution of Christians, during which the apostle James had been executed. Felix briefs Agrippa on Paul's case, and Agrippa decides to hear his case himself, although this does not annul Paul's demand to be to eventually be heard in Rome. This entire ordeal calls to mind... Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to do another version. I'll, I'll, I'll upload a corrected version of this. Calls to mind Jesus' words about Paul in Acts 9.15. He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and then the children of Israel. This is... I, I do proofread these. I'm like, yep, looks good. All right. Well, I don't know if anybody noticed for a little while our signs in the bathroom said um, January 31st, uh, New Year's Eve... Oh my gosh! Yeah. yeah, we we are great at the proofreading that's, around here. That's good. We all looked at like it that. too, and it yeah. still went up for a little bit. Yeah, proofreading is under is uh, overrated. <laughs> um, okay, uh, let's go ahead and read the first section. Uh, the first section of scripture here. That's right. Acts uh, chapter twenty-five, verses twenty-three through twenty-seven. I can take that on. All right. 
23 to 27. So when the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with the great pomp and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in and Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me both in Jerusalem and here shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death, and as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing def- uh, I have nothing definite to write to my lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. Mm. Very nice. Thank so, you. yeah. So this is uh, kind of the intro of what's happening here. Um, and uh, we got two questions from this part uh, of Scripture here. So first is a heart question. In the midst of uh, what many would consider a tremendous setback, Paul is able to share his faith on many different occasions, enabling him to proclaim the gospel to several highly influential people whom he would not otherwise have been able to reach. Can you think of a time when God gave you or someone you know an opportunity for ministry through what initially seemed to be a setback? Hmm. Yeah. So, you know, things that, um, things that the, you know, obviously a highly personal question and everything. Um, you know, I can um, definitely think of a few. Um, one good example of this for me was uh, when I first got married to Jamie. Um, uh, she graduated school a little later than I did. She graduated one year after I did. So I came to Chicago to live up there to be with her before we were married. And um, the job that I got, uh, which I was working as a cook, actually, um, they would only hire me for two if I committed for two years, whereas we wanted to go on in seminary. So we we're like, oh, we have to wait another year. You know, and I'm like, you know, uh, what? like, I don't know. It just really seemed like it stunk at the time. Uh, but it just so happened that the place where we moved into when we were when when uh, for that for that for that year together, um, we were adjacent to another apartment where um, it was it was two ladies living who were in a relationship, and one of them was going to Loyola for Old Testament. What? Yeah, and Wild. so <laughs> yeah, so we struck up like a really good relationship with mm-hmm. them, and were able to really. Um, you know, share with them a lot during that, during that year. Um, you know, we would get together, um, fairly often and we had like backdoor windows that faced each other and stuff. So always like, can we borrow a cup of sugar? <laughs> yeah. So that was, that was good. But initially I was like, like, why, like, you know, why do I have to commit to two years yeah. when I only want to be here one? <laughs> and it was the kind of deal where like I moved out back out to Chicago like I came back for the summer, moved back out there, and then found out about it. So mm. I was like, "Where are you gonna go? What are you gonna do?" Yeah, yeah. you're already in in the between yeah. rock and hard place. Yeah. So, I I mean I've been in tough situations where <laughs> it was it was really rough, uh, but the Lord ministered to me through it. Mm. Um, not necessarily something outward. Yeah. Um, like there was a, I used to lead mission trips for high schoolers and there was a time we were coming back from India and I had actually some Chinese students Okay. and one of them didn't bring his, he forgot to bring his visa into the United States. Oh my gosh. He got in? <laughs> they let him, not only did he get in, but they, so without that, India shouldn't have let him leave the country or even the airport. Yeah. 
Um, but we just we prayed <laughs> literally at every step, and he got into the country. <laughs> but uh, with with Holy the condition, cow. the visa met him at the airport. Somebody brought it, but that was just a huge. Uh, I, there was there was a lot of moments from that trip, but that was I don't know. It sounds silly, but that was one of that ministered to me and, and how God even just can do what seems impossible um, in in those things. Mm, yeah. And That's... I think, too, for those students, it was there was a lot of worry and anxiety um, about how this is going to work and how it was going to pan out and to see God come through um, in a seemingly impossible way was huge for them, I think, too. Yeah, I think this is very encouraging, even for people who are experiencing things like that now, because, you know, you know, uh, we we have the way that we think that things should go and how we would like things to run smoothly. And mm. somehow, sometimes e- even like uh, the situation with the student there, you know, like it's uh, um, that itself is a ministry testimony to yeah. them, you know, and to yeah. everybody there to strengthen their faith and <coughs> all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so what does this teach us about God's sovereignty? <laughs> yeah, I think, <laughs> you know, I think uh, it teaches us to trust it. You know, yeah. um, I always think of it like this, like. When you're in the moment, I mean, you can't always look in hindsight and see what God was doing. And but sometimes you can and a lot of times you can or at least something that he was doing. But like we're always living like in the now and any snapshot taken in the now when you're, you know, when you're in it, when you're when stuff is not going as you'd like it to go. It never looks like, oh, like God's doing something awesome in this. Right. All you're seeing is like that thing that's here and now. But. Um, you know, when we're able, when we have the hindsight, when we can look back on those things, um, we often do see God's hand. And I think it just, um, it helps us to be able to just affirm that God is sovereign mm. over all things, um, even things that I don't think are how they should be. Yeah. You know? And I think it's knowing God's promises too in those moments, mm-hmm. which remind us of his sovereignty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's like, how do you expect the Christian walk to go? And well, mm. how does Scripture teach us it should go? Yeah, not as smooth as we'd like. Not it. as smooth as we would like it. <laughs> uh, but one thing that will be very smooth will be your reading of Acts twenty six one through eight. Oh, how do you like that for a transition? I do. It All right. was terrible, but let's, ah. let's do it. You're All you're right. welcome. <laughs> Acts twenty six one through eight. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you're familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time... They are willing to testify that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for the hope I am accused by Jews, O King. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O King. I was thinking like I I wrote that or something. (laughs) Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? All right. Yeah, I love that. I love I love some of Paul's lines in mm. this speech, by the way. Like this one, this thing he says at the end. We'll get there. Um, okay, so Paul takes advantage of the situation. Amazingly, his imprisonment affords him an opportunity to do what no other Christian has had the opportunity to do or ever will again. Preach the gospel directly to a Herodian ruler. 
which sounds like it's from Star Wars. <laughs> um, uh, what what things that Paul says here can help you in your own efforts to share your faith? So there's a bunch of stuff in in this that you know I you know have in mind that I bring up. Um, you see anything in there? Yeah, I don't. I, well, mean, I don't mind. Nothing specific that he's necessarily saying, but more more so the format to me. Okay. Um, he's just kind of pointing out, like, listen, you know me. You knew me when I was like. They all know me. Mm-hmm. They knew me as a kid and growing up and what my life was like and how I lived and mm-hmm. like using their knowledge of him as a, a a testament for God, not against God. Yeah. Um, and I think that's like if. If you became, especially if you became a Christian older in life, mm-hmm. or even as a as a kid, yep, um, like that, speaking to people who know you well is sometimes the hardest thing to do about yeah, God, like family members. Yeah, yeah, but to point out, like, hey, you you know me, um, mm-hmm. and you know what I was like, and and how God has worked in my life. So using yep. almost this format of saying like, like using that for for your argument. Yeah, there's a lot of testimony that Saul gives here. And and also when he was speaking in Caesarea, uh, well, he still is in Caesarea, but when he first, uh, actually, no, he's in Jerusalem when he gave this, uh, the last time he did it. Yeah, so uh, when he was initially arrested, a lot of personal testimony in that as well. You see, see how key that is. I think also like the um, acknowledging that he's fortunate to speak to him, right? Mm. Like he could have come at this a lot of different ways. He could have been like, who are you to be judging me here, Agrippa, you know, um, but instead, he really humbles himself and uh, and is expresses being grateful for mm-hmm. the opportunity, almost abasing himself. Um, yeah, I beg you to listen to me patiently. You know, like all of that. Um, I think also, um, uh, you know, an, another uh, couple things. Um, he's he he spends a lot of time kind of like appealing to what is common belief latching on to them we've seen that in some of the other speeches of paul right like not going straight for like the uh, for the uh, unique things right mm-hmm. but like here are points of common ground um you know and like it's it's um you know this hope uh, that 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 um uh in the promise made by god to our fathers which all our 12 tribes hope to attain right so like he goes as far as he possibly can in terms of his alignment with jewish beliefs and then I also uh, really like that line. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Mm. You know, um, which is, I think, a key point in kind of thinking through Christianity. Like, obviously, the idea that someone was raised from the dead is a big matzo ball. You know, like that's a that's a hurdle. Right. But um, just emphasizing that, like it like if you're if you accept belief in God, right? You're, you're accepting belief in a being who is clearly able to do this. And so like, that's at least one component of some, some version of the intellectual case for the, uh, for the resurrection of Jesus. Um, so all those things, and you know, your group might pull out more stuff that, that you'd find helpful in evangelism. Um, all right. So now we've got a little bit of a chunk to read. And so I break it into two and suggest that you have Two people read this, which perhaps we can follow. All right. So why don't you read uh, verses 9 through 11? Sure. And I'll read 12 through 18. Great. Okay. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. 
Not only locked, I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme, and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand up on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me, and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes, so that they may turn from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins, and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. All right. So this is now the third time in Acts that we have read an account of Paul's encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. The one gives more detail. This one gives more detail than the other two, particularly in what Jesus says to Paul. All right. So um, we've got two options with what's going on here. Either the other two are abbreviated versions of the story, or Paul is here inserting things that Jesus later revealed to him after he regained his sight. So Okay. Um, all right. Now, what's so this question here? Consider the new material that Paul adds in verses 16 to 18. Why does he decide to share this now, given his present audience? Yeah. So in 16 and 18, it says, But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and to witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. And it keeps going on. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> um, I think, so first of all, like, uh, and again, there's a bunch of answers that you could potentially come up with here. Well, I think 17, <laughs> verse 17 is is kind of key because it's mm-hmm. talking about him being sent to the Gentiles mm-hmm. um, to open their eyes so that they would turn from darkness to light. Uh, and I think, I mean, essentially he's on trial for his time with the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Um, there's really nothing legal against him to be on trial, but yeah, uh, that's why they're in an uproar because of his time. Yeah. With the Gentiles. Yeah, there are, there are accusations. Particularly, keep in mind that it's um, they're, called, they're called Jews from Asia here who would have been the people in Ephesus, the, the Jewish mob in Ephesus, which, uh, you know, and you could think of... Uh, there, it's interesting because it wasn't really the instigation of Jewish people. It was the idol makers there, mm-hmm. right? But yeah. they saw what happened. Those mm-hmm. who opposed him saw what happened there. Yeah, I think also, like, he real. I think he's helping... I, I, I suspect he's trying to see Agrippa and perhaps Festus also as part of this narrative. Because notice he says in verse 17 that Jesus says to him that he would deliver, uh, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles. Like this is part of what they have done, right? Like they, a mob was about to kill mm-hmm. him and he, del- and he, he delivered um they they delivered him from them from the, mm-hmm. the danger that they had, um, and uh, and like it's very much, and 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 if they see themselves in this narrative, then they see themselves as a player in this 
uh, scenario that Jesus is pointing out. Namely, right, he says to open their eyes so that you may turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, right? The implication clearly being that those whom he's standing before are those whom Jesus is sending him to. So just seeing themselves as like part of this act of God and that like God is speaking through him in order to 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 change their minds, in order to appeal to them. Hmm. Like um, he makes this very much like an, a, 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 an evangelistic message. He's, he's not just trying to defend himself, but he's in fact, very little is spent here defending himself. Yeah, he's if, not denying anything, really. Yep. He's just saying what happened to him and what he's done. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Um and I'll, I'll also note that um, he uh, he here is being opposed by Jewish religious leaders. And so the words that Jesus is saying to Saul are kind of like directed at them here mm. now. Why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. So is that why he specifies that it was in the Hebrew language because of who he's speaking with? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Because it's, it's, I mean, that's on it's their another, terms. It's just another way of underscoring mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he does call him the God of uh, their fathers, right? And, but, um, uh, but yeah, like that's, the, that's just another way of identifying the audience that mm-hmm. he's trying to appeal to. So this is like another example, I think, of contextualizing one's message. Um, speaking it in the language that is most understood. Yeah, which I think, um, yeah, is um, is is uh, definitely a, a, an important component of being able, like knowing how people are hearing you. Yeah. Being very sensitive to like when I'm saying these things and saying it in this way, how are people understanding me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what does this teach us about how we can use our personal testimonies in sharing our faith? Mm. Use them. But also... <laughs> Sorry, I've got like, tons of ideas. Yeah, yeah. I know. Well, you mentioned it earlier, right? Like you drew that out earlier. Um, well, I mean, too, like I think it's important to like we can't because it's possible to share your testimony without sharing the gospel. Um, and I think we see it a little bit more as he continues. But um, yeah, like he, he always includes the gospel within his testimony, within what happened in his life. Yeah. Um, so that like he works it in. Yeah. He knows so that it's to, clear, like yeah. who did the work that he's like, he didn't change by the power of his will. He he's changed because of the power of, of Christ and what Christ did on the cross and um, covering his sins. And and, from and he works it in, in a natural way yeah. because he's essentially saying like, and here's the thing that I realized, mm-hmm. you know, like he's not, he, there's no break. Like it's part mm-hmm. of the story because his realization and coming to faith in the gospel is part mm-hmm. of it. The other thing that I think is interesting, too, is that Paul's got different ways of telling his testimony. He is a master communicator. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I just, yes. like, read his stuff, and I never talk as eloquently yeah. as, like, Or write as eloquently. Like, he's just writing a letter, and it's like, <laughs> put it in the Bible. <laughs> it's, yeah. You yeah. didn't need the proofreading that you do. So. <laughs> and, and it, yeah, exactly. Um, well, who knows? Maybe. Um, uh, but, yeah, like, I always think, like, I should be able to, like, whenever I tell the story of my faith and my, my, my coming to faith in Christ, like, it's tempting to have, like, a very solidified version, you mm. know, like, but here you, I think it's important for anything that you're called upon to share, the gospel included, have a 15-second version, have a minute version, have a five-minute version, have a half-hour version, 
you know, and be able to adjust um, uh, so that you like appropriate context and appropriate attention span. Like, I don't want to just end up talking this person's ear off because it's you've written the elevator always... 30 times because you <laughs> what's that? The... You've written the elevator yeah, 30 oh, yeah, times because yeah, yeah, yeah. you <laughs> that's right. The doors pick... open it, they, yeah. like they get to their floor and you just press the close button. <laughs> I'm not done yet. Just keep doing it. Yeah, <laughs> they're pulling the alarm. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, and what do Paul's words teach us about Christian ministry? Brian actually made this question into like an entire section of the, the sermon. Um, but um, a lot about like Christian ministry is uh, being a witness to what we have seen and heard. Like that's what ministry mm-hmm. is. If yeah. we're not doing that, we kind of miss it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And we're not adding anything on, like you said, and you're not, this isn't the message, this this isn't some dude walking out of the woods saying I had a like I had this crazy dream. Yeah. And now follow me. <laughs> yeah, <I'm> right. <laughs> yeah. We see that especially in what he says in a little bit where he's like, This thing hasn't been done in a corner. Yeah. 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 So Paul's audience with Agrippa, Bernice, and Festus affords him an opportunity to do what Jesus commanded him, to be a servant and witness, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. What unique opportunities do you have right now to do this same thing? Yeah. So obviously varies a lot depending on uh, on on uh you know whom whom you're talking to um so yeah it's uh, thanksgiving week folks oh my goodness y'all are gonna have lots of opportunity i believe to <laughs> be a servant and a witness mm. uh this thursday yeah and yeah. perhaps this week as family arrive might even be good to last minute invite some people over for thanksgiving mm-hmm. yeah uh, so let that conviction set in, folks. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So you know, just get co- yeah, exactly. Just get uh, get 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 creative with that. But yeah, um, I know we've had a family we've been connecting with lately who are um, you know uh, uh, you know kids, obviously mm-hmm. you know playdates and things like that. And, yeah. Yeah, and I always say like you know for me it's kind of easy segueing in because they're like, what do you do? What do you do? Oh, I'm a pastor, right? But, like, you want to have some way to, like, put it out there to get the conversation that they know mm-hmm. you're a Christian. Yeah. I was just say, we get, have a way to put it out there. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Paul doesn't shy away from saying that those who have not been freed by Jesus are under the power of Satan. Maybe, again, might not want to share that every time you share the gospel. You're under Satan's power. That's what you need to understand. But maybe, you know, I don't know. Um, Ryan certainly didn't shy away from saying it this Sunday. No, yeah. he didn't. <laughs> um, how does Satan exercise his power over people today? I mean, mm. how does he not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is <laughs> this probably easier to answer. <laughs> yeah, that would be a quicker answer. <laughs> yes, very much, very much so. Uh, yeah, you'll you'll get a very varied discussion. I don't know if I have any particularly interesting observations. Um, I, I mean, mean, distraction. Uh, uh, <laughs> Read the screw tape letters and you'll just get, get oh, like yeah, a really good. Oh, yeah, C.S. Lewis classic if yeah. you haven't read them. Yeah. Oh, it's such a, it's a quick read too. So yeah. if you've got some time this week between uh, 
I love in there in one basting of the, the turkey. In one of the earlier sections, I remember it talks about how it's basically like Satan giving advice on his nephew. No, on well, and to... it's not Satan. So it's too. Have you read this book, Doug? Come it's on, Uncle it's... Screwtape, right? Isn't it like Uncle a demon? Uncle Screwtape is a demon. Yeah, okay, and he yeah, has yeah. a demon nephew who he's mentoring and training up to oh, okay. be to right. to lead this new believer away from the enemy who is go. the enemy's god because this is from the perspective of of demons but it's it's okay. very good very good book. i follow and I, yeah i remember one of them was like <laughs> like um you, you the goal is not to be as evil as possible it's to be as deceptive as possible yes. and so yeah. you know i think of a lot like uh you know we live in a very moralistic society and mm. so people um oh yeah you know sometimes can get lost in that and like you would rather it just being a moral person doesn't make you a christian person yeah 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 exactly yeah. Uh, you know it's it's uh can often obscure uh our real sin issues and the sin you know because people start thinking i'm better than other people for yeah. abc and what do yeah. i need a savior for it's people who are not looking sometimes mm -hmm. that are that are more difficult to reach yeah um, but I think a lot of the people that I know who are most effective at evangelism are able to, you know, get to the point in anyone's life where even those who don't seem like they're looking, you know, you know them well enough where, where, where the, the places where they are feeling their need for God, um, does come into view mm. and yeah. Mm. Um, so why do people have a hard time acknowledging the reality of Satan? I think a lot of it is caricatures, you know, mm. like there certainly is like Satan's had weird PR, you know, <laughs> the devil with the pitchfork and the, the um, you know, or yeah. um, just I mean, like laughing about it. The you know, Bible like, describes him as being, having been beautiful or, and, and I think that that's why it's so easy to yeah. get distracted because like w we have these ugly pictures in our minds like you said of the character caricatures of satan yeah but really he's tight like he's enticing he's tempting yeah um and he knows how to to twist and turn something that's truly beautiful um into something that's yeah and i and i think one of the most devious things is just turning him into an object of like what people think of as superstition mm. or something like like he's probably it's probably uh, I don't want to say he has an easier time. I don't, I don't know what Satan has an easy time at, but <laughs> but like you know he, uh, it, to my mind at least, it, it would seem that people are particularly vulnerable who snicker at him, who mm. think that sin is a funny concept and outdated and stuff, and as opposed to people who um, you know are like, let me join a satanic cult. I, I think you know the the people who just think that he's a, an object of derision uh, are particularly vulnerable because um, they don't believe mm. he's there and they don't believe there's danger. Well, too, I think, I think something that people do is we like to think that the good we do comes from us. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, um, well, it's, it's interesting, but the bad, the bad that we do, it's hard to acknowledge that it comes from us, mm -hmm. but um, you'd think it'd almost be easier to acknowledge the reality of Satan for that reason oh yeah i feel like like the but, one of the easiest points of theology to prove from experience is the <laughs> sin you know yeah, total depravity yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right so acts 26 19 to 23 all right 
I can read it if you want me to. That sounds like a good plan. 19 to 23. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying, both in small both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to raise, rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Mm. All Boom. right. Mic yeah. drop. Mic drop. That's right. <laughs> it's coming. Sometimes people think that the call to repent implies that we are being urged to do good works to earn our, our salvation. How does the way Paul frames repentance here speak to this concern? All right, yeah, I don't know if you've ever gotten that right, but like the idea like, am I saved by trusting in Jesus or from turning or by stopping sinning? You know, I think sometimes people hear hmm. repent and hear that, you know, and um I mean, there's a sense in which, like, the it, the call to embrace Jesus is a call to turn from sin, right? Like, if you're embracing him, you're turning away from sin. Uh, but should I say what I have in mind? Yeah, go for it. Okay, all right. So notice how he words it in verse 20, um, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance, yeah. Right. So the performance of deeds is the living consistently with your repentance, which means that the performance of deeds is not in itself the repentance. It's the outflow. It's of the outflow repented. of repentance. Right. Yeah. The repentance is the turning, the changing of your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is virtually synonymous with faith. It's just the one thing I, I suppose I suppose if I had to draw like, you know, make like distinctions in terms of concepts. I might say that repentance has more is has more to do with an acknowledgement of leaving sin behind. You know, like I'm not just believing something. I'm uh, you know, I'm not just embracing Jesus, mm-hmm. but I'm also under there's an understanding that my embrace of Jesus implies that I'm I I'm I hate my sin now. I mm-hmm. I want away from this and I want to leave this behind. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like if Jesus is it Jesus and sin are on opposite sides and I could either be facing one and have my back towards the other. Mm-hmm. That's the way, you know, I think. And so again, it's the wording here, performing deeds in keeping with repentance. It's mm-hmm. the we could say we could swap out repentance in that sentence for faith, right? And mm-hmm. we all understand that performing deeds in keeping with my faith. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. And so here I think you have that. Yeah. Uh, and it's showing too like how like he because he talked before how he was prior to to meeting Jesus mm-hmm. um, and he's showing how he's changed now, like how those deeds are now in keeping anyway. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's definitely. Um, yeah. So he's he's even got, you know, he frames this in terms of himself and his yeah. own personal journey. Yeah. Yeah. In verse 22, Paul says that the help that comes from God has afforded him the chance to stand here testifying both to small and great. What does this reveal about how Paul views his suffering and how can that help you in understanding yours? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think of um, Joseph mm. and uh, the the harm that his brothers meant to bring on him and the, the good that came from it 
in God's plan. Yeah. Um, overarching. That's just. And it, yeah. No, exactly. I, I mean, think it's the same kind of thing. Yeah, it's the same concept. Where like, yeah, I think Calvin says that God knows how to use the deeds of evil men to accomplish mm. his purposes. And it's interesting that he calls that help, hmm. right? Like God's help has landed him here, <laughs> right? That like, um, and that's the thing. It's that like, um, uh, like typically, I, I don't know, you know, like if I was, if I was imprisoned for a couple years <laughs> and you know, the, the most sharing of the gospel that I could do, I mean, I'm sure he was sharing it with other people in there, but like, you know, um, I, I'm taking trials as my opportunity to to share about yeah. Jesus I might think of that as a bummer as a real bummer and be like and not see that as God has helped me to do this yeah. but I really like how he frames this as God's God's help yeah I mean he you know? and it's true he's testifying before one of the most or a couple of the most powerful people in in the land yeah and he wouldn't have had that opportunity had he not been imprisoned and been yep. brought to that point. It's crazy yeah. when you think about it that way. And so I think I think the way it reframes <laughs> suffering is that like it, it it I guess it it reframes how we uh, what we think of as like the good things that have happened to us. Like for Paul, the good things that have happened are whatever brings him opportunity to share Christ. Mm. And um, and I just don't tend to think of things that that mm. way. You know, it makes me, yeah, I, sorry. It just makes me, it makes me think of, um, my community group is going to laugh at this when they listen to this because I bring her up all the time. Corey Temboom. Oh, there you go. Um, but she, you know, you got a good Halloween costume for next year. (laughs) She, she suffered. She was a clockmaker. Um, and in in Holland, she, but she really knew what time it was. She really knew what time. You know who Corey Timmoom is, right? Yeah. You're not okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just making. Sure. I mean, I haven't like read the biography, she, but I know. Who oh, she is. dude, yeah. it's so good. Oh, I know. Um, I've heard. She, so she suffered. If you don't know about her, she suffered uh, horrific atrocities during uh, the Holocaust. Um, she was in a concentration camp. She rescued. Um, she well, she was put in a concentration camp because of her work in kind of the underground, uh, hiding Jewish people in her home. Mm. Um, and had her so so had that suffering not happened with her, she was a clockmaker. Yeah. But because of the suffering, I mean, she even lost her sister in the concentration camp. Her father died in the concentration camp. She lost really everything. But God's plan for her, she ended up traveling the world. Um, late into her life sharing the gospel and bringing healing to thousands um so Mm -hmm. she's just an example more i wouldn't say modern day but more current example of how god uses someone's extreme suffering for the the good of others and and his glory yeah that is i mean no that is an excellent example don't don't mind bringing up uh Corey Ten Boom. Yeah, don't, you can bring her up again. I don't think anyone will mind. <laughs> yeah, maybe find time sometime to talk about the, her sister, Corey Eleven Boom. <laughs> um, Doug. But <laughs> sorry, I he I can't help, help it. it. He I can't, can't help, help himself. It. This is involuntary. It's a condition. <laughs> so, um, all right. So, uh, what question are we on here? Uh, okay, yeah, Acts we're gonna read. Yeah, we're gonna read 20, yeah. Do you want that one, or I could do it? it doesn't sure. matter. Sure. Okay. All right. I'll I'll go for it. Yeah. All right. I'm not afraid. 
And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Boom. Another, Another awesome statement by Paul. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love that line. What um, does Paul mean by saying that this has not been done in a corner and how does this make Christianity compelling? Mm. So I, it's something Ryan talked about uh, sort of at length in the, in the sermon. And you alluded to it and earlier. And I alluded yeah, to it earlier. Yeah. But how uh, like these things weren't secret. Um, mm-hmm. None of it was secret. There's still witnesses to the life of Jesus around. They... Yep saw him crucified they knew where he was buried they knew that his body was not there any longer and they yeah. could walk to the they're grave in, they're, they're, <laughs> they're in like, jerusalem they where his go, body right. had been buried right so yeah. they could go there and see that he is no longer there they weren't um they weren't far i mean like they were they were in the moment yeah um so they they know these things to be true and uh yeah, a, a good passage for this is 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul talks about the witnesses right after he mm-hmm. says what the gospel is. He talks about those whom he appeared to with nearly 500 still alive. Um, and and he's saying it as if, you know, it's well, this is just a well-known thing. Like, yeah. you guys all know this. Um, yeah, that's part of part of it. Yeah, it's it's Christianity is a very public religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no secret knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, Which, when you look at some of our bigger religions mm-hmm. um, in the United States and in just around the world, so many of them come from just like this one guy being like, yeah. "I'm a prophet, and here's here's the visions I've had, and follow me." Yeah, I think that's how it is with Mormonism. Yep, that's very Absolutely. much how it is in Islam. Yep, uh, with Muhammad. And, yeah, um, yeah, and you know, I mean, it's not to say that like there weren't any like you know, prophets in the Bible right, and things like right. that. But the, the core center of Christianity is based on a, a, a historical event. Yeah. Um, that is that, that has a high degree of veracity despite mm-hmm. its miraculous nature. Yeah. Far, far um, more, um, <laughs> there's far more supporting evidence around Christianity, even given today's standards. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah, that makes it compelling for sure. Yeah, so that's a compelling. I'll say another thing too about this line. One thing is, um, so I certainly agree with all that stuff, and I think that that this verse does make me think of that. I think we need to be a little bit careful here with what the word "this" means. Like all this has been do- not been done in a corner, right? Like um, because like part of it too is the continuing, like. Um, uh, um, 
uh, ministry of of Paul and all of that as well, right? Like uh, that's what he's been that's what he's been speaking yeah. of. Paul's um, never you know, been the silent one in the corner. Yeah, like he's never been. He's never it's been not hi- like he came he's out of nowhere. His message. Yeah. 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 What has happened? My track record. What I actually teach yeah. is not secret. And they they all would have known the one eighty that Paul took because yeah. he was. He was at executions. He was very involved in the persecution of Christians. It's yes. not like he was just kind yeah. of observant and then out of nowhere comes this guy who's like, And he's often Jesus. saying that in front of the people who were part of it with mm-hmm. him. Yeah. 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 And then it's like all of a sudden he's just on a trip and then does a complete 180 with, with how he's acting. Yeah. So it's the openness and the transparency. All right. Ne- next question is this. How does an appeal to prophecy help the case for Christianity? And what Old Testament prophecies would you use in sharing the good news about Jesus? So how does an appeal to prophecy help Christianity? Well, um, in part because the prophets in particular, but all of the Old Testament narratives point to the life and work of Jesus Christ. So Jesus was the fulfillment of the prophecies. Mm. And when you look at those books and you look at those stories and, and the way that they um, share about the coming Messiah, you, I mean, those are hundreds of years before Christ was ever, thousands of years before Christ was ever born. um, Some of them. And so, but I like Isaiah to answer that second part. Mm. I really like Isaiah. What part of Isaiah? All of it. But (laughs) (laughs) uh, I like where... Might want to take some time apart as a group to read Isaiah. (laughs) You just have fun with that, guys. It's going to be a long group if you do that. That's right. I hope you made brownies (laughs) and brew some coffee. Uh, I'm the worst with chapters. <laughs> so you say like 53 yes, is usually that what is, people go yeah, to. Yeah. yeah, it starts in 52, 13. Yeah. It's, this is the suffering it, servant passage that you're referring to? Oh, look at that. I have it highlighted. <laughs> <laughs> he was despised and rejected by men, a, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he was born of our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. So there's that. There's um, where he's described as wonderful counselor, prince of peace, mm-hmm. um, that passage. Yeah, Isaiah 9. Yeah. So yeah. D- there's just a lot in Isaiah that I just, one, it's beautiful. Mm. <laughs> that There's a reason that so much of our Christmas, uh, Christmas decorations and ornaments have Isaiah's words on them, but yeah. um, and to just because it, it points so directly to Christ's yeah. life, and so I think I think you're pointing here towards like, um, well, uh, I mean, uh, I'm not sure, exactly sure if this is what you were implying, but like there's a uh, there's an evidential value to to a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's that certainly is is one of the um, the uh, another thing is like that I think it helps you understand what God in Christ is doing, like how this isn't just something that just up and happened in the first century, Mm -hmm. but this is something that like God has done a lot in history prior to this. And it's all kind of leading up to that. And so, and it helped that really helps you understand the nature of Jesus's kingdom Mm -hmm. and things like that. And so, um, so I think that that's very powerful. A couple passages that I would add that that really you know contribute to the prophetic picture of Jesus 
uh, I think a very key, uh, I think of a lot of the David passages. Mm-hmm. Um, so the key one be, being, or one of the key ones being Second Samuel 7, which is where the, um, the Davidic covenant is made. Uh, Dave, God makes his covenant with David and promises an offspring on your throne forever. You know, that's mm-hmm. kind of where this stuff gets rolling. Um, but then you also have, um, there's, there's a bunch of Psalms, you know, Psalm two, Psalm 110 is a, is a big one. Psalm 68, um, a, um, a, another theme in, in one of the major prophets is, uh, that I like a lot is in Jeremiah. Uh, so Jeremiah has got a bunch of stuff, um, so there's a concept that Jeremiah introduces in chapter 23, um, and then he repeats it in 33. So it's easy to remember that way. And these are the, his branch uh, passages. So in Jeremiah 23, verse 5, Behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as a king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Mm. Um, And then you go to chapter 33. And uh, that kind of like builds on it. So in chapter 33, verse 14, Behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will fulfill the promise that I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days, at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved. Jerusalem will be will dwell securely, you know, so again, a lot of that. And then he goes on, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of Israel. And then eventually, well, actually you're rewinding here in Jeremiah in 31, you have the famous new covenant passage. And that's really to, uh, easy to understand, to remember where it is because it's 3131 where it starts. And this is um, him promising a future new covenant that will, uh, you know, and if you take the whole message of Jeremiah, the branch from David is involved in this. Mm. And, um, and the key to it is that like all the people under this covenant will know me for, I will, I will remember their sins no more and I will forgive their iniquity. Mm. And so a lot of that now, again, that that's not like super predictive, at least in the sense of like Jesus trivia, he's going to do this and he's going to do this and he's going to do this. But it's very key, I think, for understanding the flow of the biblical Mm storyline and why it is that the Christ is so important. Can I say another one? Yeah. Genesis. (laughs) You got it. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. That's the uh, the proto-evangelion, right? Yeah. uh, uh, you and the, your big words. The, the, the offspring of the woman crushing the offspring, <laughs> yes. of the, crushing the serpent. Yeah. I mean, that's our, I, the, I, when you look at all of the Old Testament, um, I mean, every every yeah. person who we is kind of introduced into this story, we're thinking like, is this the one? Is that the seed? And so that's why, I mean, they're He's still. He's a seed. He's yeah, a seed. Yeah, exactly. They're all still seed. thinking that in this yeah. moment. like. All of the the Jews that are kind of gathered here are still looking for the Messiah and wondering who who that person is. And Paul's like, he's yep. he's arrived, yeah. and and this is who he is. Another big one, final big one. Since you mentioned Genesis, Genesis twelve three during God's initial kind of promises to Abraham, in you will all the families of the earth be blessed. Oh, um, he actually so goes and calls that verse the gospel. 
yeah. um, in, in Galatians. So, yeah. Okay, so... In verse 28, yeah. you want me to read this? In Go verse 28, it. Agrippa perceives that Paul is not merely defending himself, but is trying to persuade him about the truth of Jesus. Then Paul makes his powerful appeal directly to him, not hiding his intentions at all. I would to God that... I would to God that not only you... But also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. That's verse 29. And yet Agrippa does not ultimately turn in repentance to Christ. Yeah. So the question here in the sermon, Brian suggested three things that kept Agrippa from embracing Jesus. He didn't want to be thought weird by his friends. He realized this would require him to turn from his sin with Bernice. And he wanted the approval of the masses. How do each of these things manifest themselves today among those who are whom you are called to reach, and what is the right Christian response mm-hmm. to them? So, yeah. Um, well, I'll grab the first one here that um, you know he he realized um, he didn't want to be thought weird by his friends. Christians are weird, a little weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like uh, you're you're. Uh, I, that that wasn't really that creative of an answer to that question. I realize. <laughs> no, but um, I, I think it's and it's something I think a lot about. You just like raising my kids. Like I mm. want them to know that people probably aren't going to like them. Yeah. Um. And I, yeah. I'll be honest. This is probably one of the things that I struggle with the the most. Mm. Um. When it comes to even just sharing the gospel, like I don't want the person to think I'm weird or want them to think that um I yeah. don't know just don't have this agenda you know like i yeah i have that fear of fear of people i fear of man i struggle with people pleasing there it is that's what i was looking for but so like but recognizing um what what's more important yep what your friends think of you or your eternal status and i think the idea is be weird in the right ways yeah you know there's no need to (laughs) throw out all your (laughs) emotional all your eq yeah i mean you're a citizen of another kingdom Mm. you know and and yeah there's going to be some weirdness here uh secondly uh this he he realized this would require him to turn from his sin with bernice uh, here, I think uh, the most obvious of examples are people who are in relationships that they maybe shouldn't be in or maybe are, are going to hold them back from from following Jesus. Like, mm-hmm. that's a tough thing. Yeah. You know, when you have someone whom you genuinely care about and realize that, you know, this is incompatible with your walk with Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's that's clear. And, and in that case, you know, you kind of have to be sensitive as to how hard to push. Yeah. Um, you know, how much... Um, how much do you really like um how 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 hard do you do you push that they that they they need to be done with this relationship now and um especially if they're trying to win the other individual to Christ mm. but eventually at least in my experience like um it's better to i don't know it's in my experience it was always better to pull the bandaid off because hmm. I dated a couple a couple of women after I you know started walking with Jesus and I you know lollygagged and led them on for months at a time and uh that wasn't good i'm not saying go this is descriptive not prescriptive folks and yeah it would have been better if i just yeah yeah so that's generally my except in the rarest occasions that's usually my advice to people yeah i was i was dating someone who i shouldn't have been when i was trying to turn back from god and it wasn't until i was finally like all right ex this relationship and that's finally when i was able to truly fully 
you know, kind of come back to my faith and, and yeah. in the right way. That's awesome. Yeah. Cause you yeah. got the most meaningful relationship in your life. That's like totally not Christ centered at all right. and probably sinful in a bunch of ways. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, they're gone. Now. Yeah. Who would have thought that that would, would work so well? Yeah. Um, and then finally, he wanted the approval of the masses. You know, oh, he man. Wanted, social media is so, thing. yeah, there's that yeah. too. And that's where social yeah, media social is like one. still, like, this is so applicable today mm-hmm. still. And because, like, everybody has a platform now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and there's masses to appeal to. It, it's not like uh, pre Facebook time yeah. when there, you didn't necessarily you keep have your the head masses. Low. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, and I, and there, I think, like, you, you know, you want to like purposely fight against your own desire to be thought well of mm-hmm. in certain ways, you yeah. know, like who, whom am I trying to please? Yeah. And I know to... we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, but just, uh, so it says, what is the right Christian response <laughs> to them? Um, and I just think about how, like in what we're talking about, Christ says, like, if your eye causes you to sin, cut it out. Yeah. Um, and, and that's really what we're saying. Like mm-hmm. if, if this relationship is causing you to sin, cut it out. If this appealing to the masses. So for me, social yeah. media was a temptation for me to be jealous, to be envious of my neighbor, to um, seek yeah. to please people on the internet as opposed to pleasing God. Yeah. And so for me, I had to cut it out. So if you friend me on Facebook, sorry, folks, haven't seen that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and them... that's not necessarily the right call for everybody. Yeah. Um, but... Oh, so you don't you don't do Facebook anymore? I know Facebook, no Instagram. Nice. Nothing. Nice. Yeah, nothing. Yeah. So literally, follow Kristen yeah. as she follows Christ. <laughs> yeah. This, um, <laughs> yeah. This is. Um, keep in mind with this question, we're talking about the individual turning to Christ, not yeah. like try. This isn't a question about like Christian witness and ah, stuff. This is about okay. which which is what you're saying. You're yeah. talking about how it impacts your own walk. Yeah, so yeah. I'm saying that's that's good. Yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, that's it for the questions. Uh, for prayer, praise God for the un- for the usual and unusual opportunities he gives you to share the gospel. And pray th- that God would bring more of this kind of opportunity into your life. Amen. <laughs> I don't know if you hear that, but somebody is like cheering out. Oh, you know what? It's World Cup. Oh, yeah. 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 Yep. Steve's got it playing. Like it's, the We're audio half an hour. We're 40 in. minutes into the uh, yeah. U.S. Yeah. T- game. Well, fortunately, we'll be able to enjoy something better than soccer in here. I don't want to say that. Sorry, all you soccer fans. <laughs> Wait, are you a soccer fan? I, I enjoy the World Cup. Oh, okay. Oh, you enjoy the World Cup. Nice. Um, can't say the same for me, although my dad was nuts about soccer. Uh, to each his own. As uh, And to us, we are going to be enjoying... A wonderful bubbly seltzer, which I say is probably the prettiest cans. I really it like the look can. of It's very cans. festive. I like the red tab that says "Hey Yo" on it, and this is the bubbly cherry. The cherry is this bubbly. meant to be one that tastes good or bad? Um, I actually haven't tasted it yet. I got four bubblies at my shop right, and I was gonna bring you the berry one, which was disgusting. <laughs> but I know that I know that I've kind of been like. Giving me all the bad ones. You well, the problem is I don't like cherry, okay, cherry well, flavored give things. It your I like cherries, right, but so, not. So this is very anything. Any cherry flavor candy, I expect to smell like this. To taste yeah. like this smells. Yeah. Yep. This is very cherry. What, what's an example of a cherry flavored candy? I can't even think of one. But medicine. I know I've spelled. Yeah, we can't keep saying medicine. I know, either. I feel like that's a very common. Yeah. So let's see how. Bubblicious. 
This tastes like bubblicious to you? Yeah. Like cherry bubblicious or just Is like that what that flavor is? Like bubblegum yeah, flavor? Yeah, the bubblicious bubblegum. Nice. You know what? The one with the, the kind that comes with the little um, so cartoon. I, I'm significantly older than you. And did you ever have Not like cards that used to come with bubblegum in them? Like garbage pail kids or baseball cards? You ever have that bubblegum? No, but I had the ones with the cartoons, and that's what this tastes like. Mm. Ones with the cartoons? What kind of cartoons? Bubblicious. Oh, oh, okay. Like, uh, you mean like Bazooka Joe that had the Bazooka, cartoons on them? Bazooka, that's the one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Bazooka. It is a little bit Bazooka Joe-ish. Bazooka bubblegum. This is a super artificial flavor seltzer. <laughs> I guess that's like, what we're getting at. Yeah, like... It's the kind of... It's like the bubblegum flavor when you chew it too, like... You yeah. put it in your mouth, and two seconds later, the flavor's completely gone. You're just chewing this, like... Oh, rubber flavorless mass now <laughs> it's kind of interesting like i um i i know like alex for example shout out alex if you're still listening at this point um he loves spindrift seltzers and okay. i never review them on here because i really don't and they're mm. the most natural tasting seltzers ever like it's like someone's just dropped slices of stuff in them like very that very sounds amazing it's too natural for me <laughs> too natural I don't know. I don't know. Some of you, if you agree, let me know. If not, I don't want to hear from you. Um, but, uh, yeah, Spindrifts. But this is, like, much on the other side. Like, I feel like I'm going to get a cavity from drinking this seltzer. Yeah, it's pretty. Yeah. If you like bazooka bubblegum and artificial cherry flavor, this is for you. Yeah. I don't know what this would be good for. I don't think. <laughs> it's almost like syrupy tasting. I, not, not to say that bu- Bubbly's got some good offerings. Like I, I feel like I, I'm always like cheering lime seltzers, but lime Bubbly may be the best lime out there. But this, I cannot go there. I just cannot. It says go natural there, flavor. I'm, I'm gonna call yeah. foul and say that it's not a natural flavor. Like the flavor, <laughs> the molecules occur in nature. <laughs> they don't. <laughs> they really don't. These occur naturally <laughs> in a lab. <laughs> <laughs> this is about as natural as crystal meth. Yeah, this is, uh, yeah, this is not like, um, okay, so um, how many bubbles are you um, giving the cherry bubbly? I'm going to give it two because I'll actually drink it, but I don't like it. Mm. Typically, if I really hate something, I don't even pour drink it. Out. it. I pour, it, pour out. it out as a libation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this one, I like, I'll drink it, but I'm not happy about yeah. it. My kids might like this. <laughs> oh, my kids would call this soda. Yeah, my I'll kids. I'll give this to them and say, here's your soda. My kids are at a point where, like, the only criteria for food being good is whether it's sweet or not. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to have to, I'm going to give it a 1.5. There I oh, am you're, giving it. See, the last two you're times not allowed Curti- to do that. The last two times Curtis and I did it, we were giving stuff 0.8s. You can't do that. We gave 2.8s, I think, in a row. Two, then, we gave two 4.8s in a row. I'm, I'm against. I'm rated. against the. That's a high rating. The fractioned. I know, point and I'm not happy to do it, but it's not <laughs> low enough for uh, maybe. Hindsight is twenty twenty. Maybe we should have made it one to ten, but. <laughs> uh yeah, I'll drink it, but I won't be happy about it. All right, that's so, where I'll leave it too. I guess if so, I'm against the. So if you're having system. kids at your house and you want to give them something that's not going to rot their teeth, but you want to get that kind of that soda vibe, maybe yep. pick it up. But yep. Uh, in terms of like, I don't know, people who actually have all their adult teeth, um, I wouldn't <laughs> recommend Cherry Bubbly. 
Sorry, Heyo. Bubbly. You've Sorry, got a cool-looking uh, cap. I like your can. It says hey you on it. That means you're cool. But <laughs> All right. Well, with that. <laughs> Enough said. Everybody have a very happy Thanksgiving. We love you all. Uh, let's try to stay away from that sweet potato souffle. And try yourself some cranberry relish. That's right. You heard it here first. <laughs> Until next Monday, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.